Say It Skillfully is about being who you really are and saying what you think needs to be said, even at work. Whether you're part of a small project team or leading a giant company, the more you accept that you're part of the problem, the faster you can be part of the solution. Join Molly Chang today as together we break the silence and learn how to be happier, healthier, and more productive at work and in life. Hello, Molly here. Welcome to Say It Skillfully, helping you find the words to create shared reality in a way that's true to yourself. My guest today, passionate about all of us living healthy lives, is a leading fat cell researcher, health and weight loss expert, keynote speaker, and award-winning author. He's been recognized as a top health, fitness, diet, and nutrition expert. Among other things, she's well-regarded as a pioneer in creating awareness about inflammation and how it contributes to diseases and weight gain. She holds a doctorate in psychology and is a certified nutritional consultant and life coach. I am delighted to introduce you to two-time number one global health influencer, Lori Shemek. Lori, welcome to Say It Skillfully. Hi, Molly. Thank you. It's such an honor to be on your show. I've really been looking forward to it. So nice to be here with you and your listeners. Well, I am so grateful and I know our listeners are in for a treat. Of course, I must, must start with a very, very big thank you to our mutual friend, the awe-inspiring Vince Bugs, who is a retired U.S. Army Brigadier General, all about embracing the power within and living our very, very best lives. So thank you, Vince. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so uh, I am, you know, this is a, this whole topic about our health and wellness is just so dear to me. I'm fascinated by your work. Um, but Thank first, yeah, first, Lori, I'm really keen for listeners to get to know you and to appreciate the journey that you've been on. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah, it's it's been quite a journey. That's for sure. You know, it's, it's never a smooth sailing for anybody, I don't think. No, there's no red, red carpet. For those of you guys waiting for the red carpet to come flying in, it's not coming. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> well, take us back. As a kid, okay. earliest memories? Yeah. Oh, let's say oh, my earliest memory. I remember being in a crib. Okay. Um, I remember that. I remember being picked up as a little child. Um, and then my earliest family memories were of Christmas. Let's say around, I was around two years old, maybe. And we were, all of us kids were crying. And my poor mother and we, it was big family right so my mother and father my mother was only 21 at the time uh she had me when she was 19 uh, my father was there i remember um my it's interesting because my grandmother my her daughter and my father her son all had children at the same time literally within a month of each other so my mother and my grandmother were in labor at the same time in the same hospital. And my mother comes in with labor pains and they wheel her in uh, and she goes into labor and then comes along my grandmother and she signs in and there's like, wait a minute, we already have a Mrs. Rickers. <laughs> and, and so I was born literally like just hours before my uncle. And that was around, it was before midnight, right? So he was born after midnight. And I am like a couple hours older than my uncle, which it would be a day older. And um, so we had, you know, two of us kids the same age. And then my aunt had two other kids. And it was just literally cribs everywhere. And and it was chaotic, if you can imagine. So that was one of my earliest memories. Um, 
And then uh, fast forward to a couple of years later, my parents got divorced uh, and they had a long custody battle. Uh, my father wanted custody of us children. And back then it was just pretty much unheard of for a, a father to gain custody. And uh, he tried. We went and lived with he and his new wife for pretty much better part of a year. And in the end, he lost custody, so uh, full custody. So my mother had it. And she was a single mother. And it was definitely um, a rough ride from then on because she was a young female. She didn't have many skills uh, that would help her in terms of income. And um you know, it was just, she, she married again rather quickly. And she had my other, my youngest brother, um, who I ended up being seven years older than. And, um, and he was not a nice person. Let me put it just, just, he abused her, he abused us. And um, then they got divorced, and she never married again. But she had relationships with men that were awful, right? So, you, you know, I always look at my poor mother and her choices with uh, most everything was just not coming from a place of love of, for herself. And um, so my mother's health deteriorated. I uh, really grew up with a mother that had um just t lot, a lot of psychological problems in terms of you know uh, living a stable life so she was sick a lot she had a multitude of health conditions all the time and she had no family she really at that point uh, my father was um somewhere um but he wasn't you know part of our family at that point he had his own family to take care of. And so my mother's family was living out of state. And, you know, you can just imagine uh, a single mother <clears throat> woman um, trying to raise three children all on her own with little money, chronic stress, and her diet. I do remember her diet. And I remember even thinking at a very young age how unhealthy it was <laughs> because it was, you know, coffee cake and coffee with sugar in it in the morning, right? That was all she had. And, um, and the list goes on. But needless to say, that didn't help her health. And she smoked a pack and a half of cigarettes a day. She was verging on obesity. And so um, my mother died at a very young age, uh, age 36, and left three children with literally, we had nowhere to go. I was a teenager. Um, my two younger brothers, we were all separated. We never were to live together again. Um, my youngest brother went with a friend family to live. And my uh, middle brother went to go live with my father. And I went to go live with my grandparents on a ranch <laughs> in East Texas. So um, I lived in California. And at that time, it was a different state, different place, but um, it's always been beautiful. And, um, and it was you know, uh, also a, a far cry from East Texas. So I arrived in East Texas with, uh, you know, 
uh, skirts below, right below the knee and high heel boots. And, <clears throat> and the girls there were still wearing gingham dresses with big bows in the back. <laughs> and uh, anyway, it was just uh, an interesting adjustment for me. And then when I got there, the they said to me, I just lost my mother days before, literally. They whisked me out of there right as soon as uh, my mother was laid to rest and she was cremated. And then, um, you know, once I started that school, they said, well, she's going to have to go back a grade because she doesn't have the right credits. So I was mortified because I was like, you mean I can't graduate next year with the way I'm supposed to? And um, and they said, nope, you can't. And so I was just horrified at that. And uh, so what I uh, what I did do was go live with my brother in the state of Washington. We all went to different states. And um, and there I was able to go back to my my uh, regular grade and graduate at the regular time. But it was just really, you know, chaotic. And I do remember, though, when I did go to the ranch with my grandparents, you know, they had it was a 500 acre ranch, uh, uh, 700 acre ranch, 500 head of cattle. And I learned how to, you know, ride horses and drive a tractor. And and I remember it was a stable life. I, and so that's one the one thing I hadn't ever had that I could recall uh, like that in my life. <clears throat> so from there, I went back to college. I flew back to live. Uh, I literally went to, you know, I went back to uh, Seattle to live and graduate high school. Then I flew back to um, California to go to college. And I uh, received my doctorate in psychology. And after that, I got a job with Family Outreach, which is a nonprofit organization, and it which helps uh, families at risk. And I stayed with them forever. And um, and it was a really wonderful thing for me to do because I really felt like that was my calling, and I still do feel like helping other people is my calling in life. And um, so it was just a perfect fit for me. I became vice president uh, of the organization, almost became president, but decided to leave because I still had my love of health, uh, which was always something I was very, very interested in, always reading books about it, always practicing it. And um, so when I left Family Outreach, I went back to school and uh, became a nutritionist and then became a life coach, all with the intent of creating my own company uh, called HealthWorks. So I wanted to uh, uh, combine my background in psychology, my uh, nutrition, my uh, coaching, and create this company. And that's what I did. And, and my mom, uh, you know, it was, it was because of my mother that I decided to, first of all, go into the helping profession because, you know, she, she never felt like she had choices in life. And I think a lot of people feel that way. They, they feel that, you know, this is the lot I've been given in life. That this is the hand of cards and, you know, this is it for me. And, and which is just, there's nothing further from the truth, really, because if I had been older, I would have been able to counsel her and help her. 
and guide her differently, but I was just too young to do so. Oh, let us pause there. Wow. Wow. You are my new hero, Lori. Thank you. Thank you. That That is so much to, uh, to go through. And I appreciate, I just appreciate you as a, a young person finding a way. So, you know, Early on, when when you're young and your parents divorce, and I'm just amazed you remember anything at two years old because I don't think I have a memory until I was <laughs> four. So, um, do you do do you remember? Was there was that something you can make sense of, or all of a sudden, you know, where someone was saying you're going to stay with your mom, and and then when they go through no. the battle, how did I mean? How was that for you? No, um, in fact, I I remember one time. I was sitting on the floor, I was probably about three years old, and I was playing with my dolls, and I remember them fighting. And my father was going to night school at the time, and I remember them really seriously fighting, and he slammed out the door, took his briefcase, and slammed the door and left. And after that, it was really just shocking. My my grandmother, um, she said, do you remember when I said goodbye to you? And I said, no, I just don't remember anything about that period of time, except for, you know, I do remember living with my father and his wife for those nine months and, you know, during the uh, custody battle. But, um, but interestingly, it, and it seems to be that way with me, if something's really awful, I'll forget it. (laughs) It's called a great defense mechanism. It's a great defense mechanism. Mechanism. Do you and I just you know again I just my heart is just out for young people going through this. Do you remember wanting to live with one or the other, Lori, or just like you're just kind of caught in the middle? Yeah, I do remember. In fact, um, back then they actually the judge asked me, brought me into court, brought me into his chambers, and he asked me who I wanted to live with because I don't think he could make up his mind. And I said my mother very clearly. I knew who I wanted to live with. And so that's who we lived with. And I don't know if it was because of, I'm assuming part of, you know, what I said, but um, my father was just as angry as he, he stormed out, you know, of the courtroom when he heard that. So, yeah. And so I've always carried some guilt about that a little bit because, you know, you, you think, you know, as a little girl, you're just, you you have no idea. But when you get older, you think of the ramifications of what you said. Yeah, well, you couldn't know. So, Lori, mm-hmm. talk about your the relationship with your brothers. And I'm sorry that the youngest one is was just very, you know. Oh, he was, not yeah. Not place, you know. Yeah, he, um, so it, he, it, we're still in contact today. My brothers and I are really close and. Um, but, uh, Lance, my youngest brother, again, went to live with that family and in Seattle and, um, he adjusted really well, but, you know, you think about how old he was just a little child when my mom died and, and Mark was, uh, 14 and just turned 15 and, and it was just really an adjustment never to see each other for a long time, but they did create a fun for us to go visit each other during the summers. So um, that was nice. We were able to do that. And, um, but now they're, they're both grown men and, and doing really, really well. So I'm happy to report because their childhood was just fraught with 
uh, instability. And, you know, a lot of the, my mother, because she was so nurturing and the, the cooking and all of that, it was just really um, a lot for, for me and also for them because they didn't have their mother, right? So um, I think that that is a huge problem. Not only did they not have a father, that which is important for boys, but they my mother was pretty much emotionally absent. Do you, do you remember feeling sorry for yourself? I mean, would you? I mean, think about how you. I mean, you work with so many people now, right? Mm-hmm. So psychology wise, mentally, <clears throat> how how do you think you coped, Lori? Well, um, I remember I was talking about denial earlier. <laughs> um, you know, it's I honestly. I honestly do not feel like I was unfairly treated as a child. I just felt like that was the way it was. And I remember when I went to go live with my grandmother, she would always say, um, she'd always tease me about, how are you doing? I'm fine, (laughs) you know? Um, But it was, so I think that that was just part of my coping mechanism. It was to just feel like, I was fine. And, you know, even when I remember um, I went to go live with the family in Seattle with where my brother was, uh, they, I remember just being really blessed, feeling blessed to live with that family to, I remember Christmas came around and all those sweet presents they gave me. And I just felt really grateful, you know? Uh, And I think that's pretty much how I've always been that way. A uh, gift from above. I'm in awe. I'm really in awe. So I, I do have to chuckle about the California girl gets to gingham territory. <laughs> and I just can imagine because, you know, that's a traumatic time anyways. Right. And so oh, you must have yeah. been like, I will do anything to get out of here. <laughs> so take us. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God, it was just. It was it was so funny because not only the girls did they just were they wearing gingham dresses with big bows they everybody had this incredible southern accent it wasn't just your typical southern accent it was an incredible southern accent <laughs> which they're known for they actually had a they uh, a translation book that's out there for those who aren't used to the East Texas accent right it's a, from another world. Um, I don't know so much anymore, but back then for sure. And yeah, so there were a lot of things that uh, about living there. Um, So I attended school the first day and all these uh, people, you know, I was immediately looked upon as an enemy for some reason. So uh, the very first day of school, they, they rushed me and pushed me up against the locker and, um, it was just, you know, a place where I was really, you know, I just lost my mother and here I am getting almost beaten up. And so I remember feeling scared about that. And um, so my grandparents, when they heard about that, they transferred me out of that school into another school, which was much better. <laughs> and um, and it was interesting because they had they had an accent, but they thought I had an accent as well. So they would make me talk so they could hear it. <laughs> oh my God. How mean can so funny. be? Oh my God. It's tragic. So <laughs> the, 
is psychology as a major, I guess the school thing, did you know you were going to go to college, Lori? That was a done deal. Yes, it was a done deal. Um, that was, my mother never spoke to me about it, but I knew um, that was the the thing I needed to do because I didn't have that foundational support where a lot of children, they're, you know, they have their mother or fathers or they're, you know, you need to do your homework. You have to know you don't take business math, you take algebra. <laughs> to get into college. And, you know, they have the, that kind of guidance and what schools are you going to go to? And are you going to take your, you know, your SAT tests, et cetera, et cetera. So I had to kind of figure that out on my own. I had people along the way to help guide me. Thank God. Uh, because on my own, I don't know if I would have been able to do that. And, um, so it's, I'm really grateful for those people. I had, I remember my girlfriend, she was absolutely brilliant and I'm a senior in high school. And she said, are you, uh, going to take your SAT test? I said, uh, no. (laughs) And she said, what about your, um, ACT? And I said, no. And I didn't, I said, I didn't even think about it. And she goes, well, you need to, if you want to get into college, I said, really? I said, okay, well, and so she says, uh, she said, why don't you take it with me this coming Saturday, the ACT? And I said, sure. So I took it, did fine. And thank God, right? For her. But um, it's those kinds of interventions that were really helpful in my life. I love it. I love it. How did you pick where you were going to go to college? Um, well, it, it was a long story, but it was one where I could afford it. <laughs> It was really ended up being the most uh, affordable school for me, which is California Coast University. And so it was, it's a wonderful school. Um, I highly recommend it. Um, But it was affordable. You know, I didn't want to be somebody with, um, you know, debt all my life. And, um, and so it was just that played a major role. And where it was located. Well, no, gorgeous. I think that's fantastic. And I, you know, I, I kind of, I don't know, I was wondering when you got there, kind of accidentally taking the ACT within a week's notice and doing great. <laughs> right. Did you ever kind of pinch yourself like, wow, if I dodged a bullet, here I am. I, you know, I'm kind yeah. of curious how you were like, I am here at college, you know, woohoo. Yeah. Um, it's true. I, uh, pinch myself to this day. <laughs> but, you know, and I think I think when you do get into college, um, you prioritize obviously what you're doing, you're studying, and you you must, must, must be interested in what you're studying because if you're not, you're not going to do well at all. Oh, I'm I'm blown away by how you were just a self-directed missile. Uh, and I can <laughs> imagine so I can, I can imagine you with the um, family support that just really resonating with you. So just talk a bit about, you know, out of college and, and in a great job and, and how did you find it? Yeah. Um, so I, you know, had my, my little jobs at first until I became serious about um, finding a job with my degree. And it took about probably a good six months, maybe a little, maybe four months before I found what I wanted. And, um, and that was with family outreach. 
And so, um, you know, that was something near and dear to my heart, helping families. I remember even as a teenager, I was always volunteering, doing something, trying to help people um, in some way or another. And so this was just a perfect fit, as I mentioned before. And, um, you know, and they actually guided me, they helped me, they were, um, you know, it was just a, it was just a really wonderful experience to have that as a really a, a job I could grow into. What did you find that you were able to do to support people? Um, you know, cause I think some folks may be in the tough situation, not so willing to do something about it. Some people in the same situation seem very willing to do something about it. Just curious on your observations and, you know, how perhaps you were able to help people, um, you know, make, make the best of it and, and be better for, you know, hard times, although I wouldn't wish them on anyone. It's, it's really something that really has to come from your heart. And so I think that it's, uh, you know, if if you are, if I'm talking to, so if you're talking about a, a family that isn't part of my work, um, <clears throat> it, you know, I would say something different, but somebody who's a client of mine um, and is a family back then, it would be, you know, every aspect of um, what's driving them, what's, um, uh, you know, what's, what's, what are the obstacles that they're encountering, um, what their family history is. It really, there are a lot of uh, complex factors that go into what really creates the way we are in life and the way we behave. And, you know, empathy is, in my opinion, something that can't be taught, uh, maybe a tiny bit. Uh, <clears throat> but um, if one has empathy, I think that, you know, they're far better off than one that is not as aware. And so you can, you can help people more in that way. Yeah. How, how um, and, and this is a, not a field that I'm, I do some of this work with people obviously, but mm -hmm. not, you know, I think to the level that you were, and I'm wondering, you know, to the extent you saw people who really couldn't get out of their way, you know, what were some of the things that you did? Um, is it a matter of tough love? And I'm, I'm hearing you being very curious. I'm hearing you being listening yeah. a lot to people. Yeah, that's a, it's a great question. Yeah, it is tough love. And it is also, um, this is why I decided to move forward, leaving my, my work is your nutrition plays a huge role in the way you behave and um, how you perceive the world and what kind of energy you have and what kind of motivation you have in order to do so. And whether you feel like a happier per you know, a happy person or not. Um, we now know that um, healthy foods, healthy foods create a gut microbiome that keep um, anxiety and depression lower or not at all. And we know that a healthy diet keeps inflammation away. Inflammation is the core underlying cause of most illness, disease, faster aging, and weight gain. And so when you think about your mental well-being, that's that's your gut health, really, and the choices that you make. So if you surround yourself with healthy, the chances are you will have a healthier environment. 
Okay. So let's dive into this because I, I love this and, you know, just share, you know, maybe just give us a one-on-one on um, being healthy, the, the foods that we eat, just, you know, share with us a little bit, because I think, you know, it, it's, you can read a lot of different things too, Lori, and you, you're not really sure sometimes is that true? Is that not true? So I'd also love to hear your um, suggestions for folks and how they can really be informed um, and with, with, with what they can do to be very proactive. Um, yeah. Um, so just know that um, via research, we now know that our gut microbiome um, produces most of the serotonin in our body. That's a neurotransmitter. It's what I call the, the happy transmitter because it makes us feel good. And that people whose gut health is not so great um, make less of it. And so when you when you eat for a healthy gut microbiome, you're affecting every single aspect of health, your mental well-being, your brain health, your uh, heart health, your liver health, every area. Weight literally uh, is a reflection of your gut microbiome. We know that people who are obese or even overweight have substandard gut bacteria versus those that are leaner and healthier. Um, and, you know, you, so it's really important to focus on foods that are going to feed the healthy gut uh, bugs, if you will, um, and uh, stop feeding the unhealthy gut bugs. And so what feeds those unhealthy gut bugs and creates an abundance of them are foods that unfortunately most people are enjoying, <laughs> which is the, the refri refined processed junk foods, right? And so those are the very types of foods like sugar, for example, that our unhealthy microbiota love, and they literally need sugar in order to live. So when you get a craving for sugar, it's not just your mind, it's also your, your uh, gut bacteria crying out for food. And, and so it's, that's why it's of primary importance to eat a whole foods diet. And when you do so, that is packed with uh, prebiotics, which feed these, the healthy gut bugs, probiotics, when you add in some cultured fermented foods like cottage cheese or uh, aged cheeses, olives, yogurt, kimchi, natto, for example, those are foods that really add uh, healthy gut bacteria. And then, you know, you want to make sure that um, you stop feeding. So you, essentially what you're doing is you're pulling the weeds by your stop, stopping the poor food choices, right? Then you're adding in your, um, you're planting the good gut bacteria it's like a garden, right? Yeah. With probiotic foods. And then you are uh, um, fertilizing it with the prebiotic foods, which are the vegetables and the, um, the, you know, the garlic, the fennel, and um, the, all the, the foods, all vegetables really are prebiotic fiber, but anything that has fiber in it is going to feed the healthy gut bacteria. Oh so this is this is great. So can you you've mentioned some words like the prebiotic um, and, uh -huh. and just and um, to just help folks translate just to what that is in the foods that yeah. they eat. 
That is, so prebiotics are, are sen- essentially just prebiotic fiber. You can look at it like that. Okay. Uh, it's just fiber in vegetables. You find it in apples, you find it in beans and bananas and onions and garlic. Um, all those kinds of foods will, when you eat them, they are literally feeding those healthy gut bugs, not the unhealthy ones. The unhealthy ones won't touch it, but the healthy ones, and that's your goal is to create an abundance of these bugs, these healthy bacteria. And, um, you know, our body is more made up of more bacteria, believe it or, or not, than it is human cells. So it's truly astounding uh, when you think about it that way, because we have uh, microbiomes all over our body. And now the latest research is showing we even have a microbiome in our brain, if you can believe that. So it's good to to be very careful about what you eat. The probiotics, you mentioned the fermented things are good mm-hmm. for you. So am I being too naive? Like all fermented things are good for you or help me with that category? Yes, all fermented, uh, unless you have a food sensitivity right to them. So if you're sensitive to say sauerkraut, uh, then that's not obviously, it, it may be uh, feeding the good bacteria, but then you're going to have some type of reaction, some food sensitivity reaction. But for most people, uh, when you start adding in more of these cultured foods like yogurt, sauerkraut, kimchi, um, olives, and um, blue cheese, for example, those are are literally, uh, you're adding healthy bacteria. And those healthy bacteria will uh, populate and they will um, support one. You have like little communities in your gut. It's like, you know, you have the people, I mean, the people, (laughs) the bacteria that are major serious workers. You have some that eh, don't do anything really just hang around, but you need those two neutral players. And you, you have some that are, have a specific role to play, such as helping your immune health. And then you have some that are just laid back and only uh, on call when you need them. So, you know, really it's, if you were to pay any attention to any area of health in your body, I would say it would be your gut microbiome because it affects every single area of health. And um, as I mentioned, it greatly affects your mental well-being. So if we had everybody in it globally eating a healthy diet, we would have happier people. <laughs> we wouldn't not be that we wouldn't have this division and this anger and this sadness. And um, I just put out on my social media yesterday, um, how the United States is the highest in terms of receiving uh, antidepressants. We are we receive the most antidepressants of any country in the world. And you know that has that is a reflection of a lot of things, but largely what we're doing with our gut microbiome. Yeah. So I and I have heard this sugar is not great. Lori, for folks, what what's an okay amount? Can you is that is that a way to think about it? Like, is it zero sugar? I mean, I have a sweet tooth. I love I love. My <laughs> I don't. I would say okay, that I'm it's not, not going to tell you I, then. Well, I'm not <laughs> out of I'm not out of control. You know, I have a little dark chocolate. 
you know, yeah. I have a little ice cream, but I, I'm always been about, a, a, what is it? Everything in a bit of moderation, you know, mm-hmm. not going. So just share with us, you know, what's practical for people in their everyday lives. Okay. Well, if you, if you think about like sugar or refined white flour, for example, those two behave very similarly in the body. Um, they raise blood sugar very quickly and then it drops precipitously. And there you have inflammation in the body right then and there. Um, but when you think about sugar, sugar is directly feeding those unhealthy gut bugs, as I mentioned, right? It's also, um, it's harming the mitochondria of your cells. Now, I don't want to get too sciencey, but um, but just know that the mitochondria are the, the little organelles in your cells that create literally the energy that we are alive with, right? We cannot survive without them. They create ATP. And without ATP, we would be, we wouldn't be here. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so the healthier your mitochondria, the more of them you have, the more robust they are, the um healthier you are. And so sugar literally harms mitochondria. And the other thing that sugar does, I think is important for people to know, is it's called glycation. It caramelizes essentially. Um, there's a reaction between sugar and proteins in the body, in all tissues in the body, not just your skin causing wrinkles and sagging skin, but inside the tissues inside your body too. And it changes the nature and function of the tissue. And so this leads to illness, disease, and all sorts of inflammatory conditions. Okay. So we're going to eat as little sugar as we can. Oh, so yeah, to answer your question... Um, I would say treat it, use it as a treat. I wouldn't use it every day. Mm -hmm. Um, Use it here and there, you know, as a treat. And um, because if you're using it every day, then there's, there's, you're feeding, right? Those unhealthy bugs every day with sugar. And, you know, I mean, I understand I was a sugar addict. Oh my gosh. When I was in school, I had to, I literally had to withdraw. (laughs) I had withdrawal from it. Um, It was, but I knew I was addicted to it because I had to have it every day. And, um, and that was one of the best things I ever did, you know? And, and it's once you literally get past having to have it every day, um, things every, you can taste sugar in every single thing that there is. Because when you eat sugar all the time, you lose your sense of sweetness. And that's why when, you know, food manufacturers, they purposely make things super sweet, if you've noticed. And if you've also noticed, most foods, uh, especially for Americans, are highly sweet. They they create these glazed shrimp and the glazed fish and the glazed chicken. Everything's sweet and um and it's just not right. It's, it's unfortunately people don't realize it, but they're eating sugar. Yeah. We, it's funny. You mentioned this. We, my, my mom in particular was noticing when you go out to eat, which is why we cook a lot. It just, a lot of things are, they're oversweet. And then we're like, yes. what is up with this? You don't need it. And I love that you called out. It's true. If you, you don't have as much sugar, you can actually taste it when you do have it as opposed to it's kind yeah, of great. smothered over everything. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, I love that. I know. I have to ask you because so the grains and you know, I hear people are high protein grains, vegetables, mm-hmm. you know, is, is pasta horrible? Is rice horrible? Thoughts on. Um... Um, okay. So not horrible. No, because, you know, if you, if you're eating a low carb diet, 
Uh, you can get here and there. You can get some pasta in there. You can get grains in there if you're not sensitive to them. Um, but the problem is, is most people are not doing that, right? If you are insulin sensitive, which you would be if you're eating a low carb diet, that's that's the key to optimal health is your body knows what to do with insulin and it's done quickly. Um, it's not, you, you know, with people who have prediabetes, um, which is most people um, in the United States, for example, and they don't know it. Um, it, there's insulin's hanging around a long time. It's, you know, causing a lot of health conditions and primarily leading to diabetes. And that's what we don't want. Um, <clears throat> so, um, did I answer the question? What was well, the question? Yeah, this, this, well, rices, pastas, oh, yeah. you know, like right. how much of that, you know, again, yeah. how do you know that you're able to, you know, handle insulin well or not? Yeah. And you, you really, you don't know up until you start having symptoms like excessive thirst or excessive urination um, until then, or until you get a blood test, you really don't know you have prediabetes and leading up to prediabetes, right? Which is high blood sugar um, is, is a problem too. So um, the way to deal with that is to stop eating excess carbs and to stop eating sugar, stop eating refined processed foods, and uh, to primarily add in uh, focus on proteins, lots of veggies, if if you're not sensitive to them. And, um, and that and, you know, beans are great. Lentils are excellent for you. Uh, beans of all kinds are great. And uh, because again, they're a prebiotic fiber, they're um, doable in a low carb diet. Um, but, you know, when you look at the pastas that are made out of say lentils um, or garbanzo beans, they're still pulverizing that pasta uh, to a point where it is rapidly absorbed by the body. It gets into the bloodstream quickly, the uh, sugar does, and um, it raises glucose quickly. And so we don't want that, even though there's a lot of fiber and that fiber is not, it's not in its natural form anymore. It's pulverized. And um, so that's where you have to be careful, even though it says, you know, nine grams of fiber for whole wheat pasta, it's still a problem. Oh my gosh, this is a whole. I know I'm, a, I'm, I'm just a, no, I'm just a messenger. This is so, well, yeah, so I, you know, I'm Chinese. We eat a lot of rice. I right? know. Yeah. And okay. I mean, okay. Let me say now there is a genetic difference between some people, not all Chinese people, but some people, some Chinese people can um, eat white rice, same with other people. Um, and they don't, their blood sugar does not spike. It's really interesting. Half do, half don't. There was a study out of Israel where half the participants' blood sugar spiked and the other half didn't, which is, that's why it's so important. If you can get a continuous glucose monitor where you put them on your your arm or in your stomach, and uh, you can see via your phone how any food is affecting your blood sugar. That right there is a huge step towards optimal health because again, insulin sensitivity, um, keeping that insulin low, keeping that glucose low is your key to optimal health. 
So it's not just getting a one-time, oh, your blood sugar is low in your in your <clears throat> fasting test. It's right. The ability to ensure that it's consistently low. Uh, well said. Yes. Right. Okay. So this is yeah. Molly is learning. I'm not hopeless. Okay. This is <laughs> so funny. <laughs> so I really am just I'm so smiling because I I I want to I want to live well. And I I have to say, I I for my friends who know me, I generally can eat more carbs than most people can believe. And I've, you know, I have low blood sugar and all that good stuff. Um, oh, that's great. Yeah. So, you, you may be genetically blessed. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm going to have to confirm that because I don't want to silently not do the good thing for myself. Um, so Lori, just talk to us about your, the full body of your work and, you know, what moves you. I mean, I, I, I dare say you seem to be someone who's kind of living the dream, right? The ability to serve people in a way that's meaningful for you and to help people. And just talk a bit about, your business and what it means to you, because it's, um, I'm really proud of you. Well, thank you, Molly. That's so sweet of you. Um, you know, I, I, as I mentioned, I started my business, uh, health works as a way to help other people, uh, with their health because I knew, and I neglected to mention that, um, when I changed my client's diet at family outreach, the, everything changed, their motivation changed, their behavior changed, uh, their children's, behavior changed. And, um, and it was just really, it was just a crystallization of what I already knew anyway. And <clears throat> so I went, you know, as I said, I went back to school, yuck, and <laughs> did <laughs> a, another year, a couple years worth. And um, finally was able to start my own company. And I went to a business coach and she's, I, she said, so Lori, what do you want to do? with what is it you want to help people with? And I said, I want to create optimal health for people. And she said, she says, Lori, people don't wake up in the morning and say, I want to create optimal health. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like perplexed at that because I did. I know I, you know, and, but then I got it eventually. And um, so it was more, I I targeted overweight people because they were the ones that were coming to me at that point. And literally, and I, I said, it looks like they're having, they're struggling the most, having the most challenges. And so that was, that was, that's my early focus was weight loss. And it was definitely, um, really a great experience because it taught me a lot. I learned a lot. I was able to help a lot of people. And, um, you know, in my research with, um, on fat cells and how they behave and it was, uh, I was able to help other people. And so because of that, um, I, I'm trying to remember what I did after that. Um, so I continue, I'm, I still coach, right? I still have my coaching practice, but from there, oh, I know I wrote a book, my first book and it did really well. And then after that, I, um, and I was doing media and all. And then after that, I went on to writing my next book, which was called how to fight fat flammation, which is a, a play on the word, uh, fat and inflammation because it is inflamed fat cells that uh, caused the most problem with our health when we gain weight. And a lot of people don't know that that fat cells, if we're if we have excess fat in the body, 
the fat cells begin to act as if they're sick or infected and begin to emit um, uh, molecules, inflammatory molecules that literally slow down the metabolism. And this is what causes people to gain even more weight. And so it's, it's def- that's why it's so hard to lose weight, you know, because there's a lot of inflammation going on. Um, but once you, you learn how to, to handle that and to get past that and to do the things that work, um, it's, it's, you're good to go. Um, but then let's see. So I wrote my next book, which was, um, begin the beginner's guide to intermittent fasting. And my last book, which is, um, the ketogenic key because both intermittent fasting and the ketogenic diet are both, uh, incredible ways to optimize health. They, it's funny because people think that they are uh, fads and they're not, you know, we have the ketogenic diet has been around for over a hundred years. It was used to help uh, children with epilepsy uh, stop or at least reduce their seizures very effectively. That was before they had medicine. So um, there are so many benefits to you know, the the ketogenic diet also stops the NLRP3 inflammasome, which is all about inflammation. Stopping that right there is, is incredible. That's gold. Um, intermittent fasting is promoting autophagy in the body, and that gives your body the ability to uh, remodel new cells. And it's kind of like spring cleaning, you know, the cell, once you're not eating, you're not digesting food, the cell can then uh, the body can then uh, sweep out the junk and the gunk from the old cells and create a brand new cell. So uh, those two fact, those few factors are truly in- powerful in terms of health. And so enough for me to want to write about it. Well, I have some additional reading for sure, and we'll be including <laughs> the links for folks. Just talk a bit about the intermittent fasting. Is that once a week? Is that once a month? Is that once a day? Well, how, when you say intermittent fasting, what is that? Okay. So you can do it as often, anytime you do it, you're doing your body a favor. And when you're not, when you're not eating, your body is able to uh, stay away from digestion, which takes hours and hours. And it's a very energy draining resource um, on the cells, right? It's a very energy draining uh, from a cellular perspective. And so if you're not eating, the body doesn't have to, uh, spend time digesting. And so it can then get to work on cleaning up the old cells. There's, uh, what's called zombie cells or senolytic cells that are, um, they're on the, they're kind of dead, uh, some are not dead, some are dying, like almost dead, but they're still alive enough to be sending distress messages. And this is causing distress amongst the other cells, causing inflammation. And <clears throat> so um, autophagy is excellent for doing that. And that's what happens when you do intermittent fasting. However, um, the more you do it, the better off you are. So um, if you're doing, uh, I, I always tell people to start, you know, with uh, just simply skipping breakfast and seeing how they do. So if you can go, let's say even 12 hours is usually a foundational piece of advice. So if you eat your dinner at seven and you eat your breakfast at 7 a.m., 
um, that's 12 hours without food, right? Um, so that is 12 hours without food is, is a fantastic amount of time for the body to do some cleanup. It's it, We don't have tests sensitive enough to determine um, if we are in autophagy at that uh, 12-hour mark or less. But we do know for a fact that if you fast uh, 16 hours on up, that you are in autophagy. And we do see health benefits at 12 hours. So, you know, we just don't know yet. But um, until then, to be sure, I would say 18 hours of not eating is is the way to go. Ugh, I am so like energized just listening to you because I've heard all this stuff and it's hard to process, you know, and you're not yes. really sure. And I really am grateful. Uh, so grateful. So we could go on forever, but we can't go on forever. So I want to <laughs> come to a wrap and just ask you um what do you what do you most love about what you do lori helping other people i truly truly deep in my heart love helping people i love i love when um somebody's happier and their life is better and so um but you know it's always they took the action they may have listened to me. They may have read what I've done, uh, but t- them taking the action is the key. Fantastic. And, um, you know, I don't wish the struggles that you've gone through for you, but I'm so just blown away by that. What What would you say to your mother if she were alive today? Oh, gosh, so many things. Um, I would say that I wish... I was able to guide you better and to help you more. And and lastly, uh, Lori, what was it like for you to share with all of us uh, your amazing journey today? Oh, it was wonderful, really, truly, because I um, am used to doing interviews about health only, and there isn't much personal background involved. So that was like one of the first times I've ever shared <laughs> that lengthy of my background. So I really appreciate that, you know, ability to do that. I know a lot of people don't get to emote like that, but I appreciate you allowing me. Thank you. Well, I appreciate your courage for going there, my friend. For listeners, Lois, a website or any resources you might point them to, please. Uh, yes, if if they want to, you mean mine, my yeah, personal your own resources. Yeah. Um, yes, any if you Google my name, Dr. Lori Shemek or Lori Shemek, you'll come up with uh, all my books and where I am, and I'm on uh, Twitter at Lori, as Lori Shemek, on Instagram as Dr. Lori Shemek, on Facebook as Dr. Lori Shemek, and I post something, uh, some health nugget every single day that can be utilize and is practical to help optimize your health. And um and I have a podcast called This Podcast Burns Fat. And um it's about creating optimal health and fat burning as well. It's a combination of both. And let's see, what else am I doing? And I have a I'll be having a class come out uh, on how to reverse inflammation in the near future. We're oh, with bated breath, Laura. You have yeah. filled us with so much gratitude, optimizing our health and our happiness. I appreciate you. You are, um, you are part of the solution, as I like to say, and you're helping all of us be safe, 
seen and heard and our true and very, very best selves. If I can do a tiny little fraction of anything, Lori, to help you out, please, please, please don't hesitate to ask. And I know uh, we'll cross paths again. You take good care. Thank you so much. It was an honor and the feel the feeling is mutual, Molly. We'll cross paths soon. Take good yes. care. Thank you. Oh, folks, that's so amazing. I have a thought for the week, courtesy of Lori. You deserve to live the life you love. And that is a wrap, folks. Thank you for tuning in. Please be part of the solution and kindly share this show. Amplify Lori's voice. Reflect on your own top takeaways. And know I'm cheering for you to be who you are and say what needs to be said so that you and those around you have a shared reality. Essential to make the best decisions, execute with speed, and achieve outstanding outcomes at work and in your life. Homelessness is solvable. Communities are proving it. And it begins by understanding that we can't keep doing the same thing and expect a different result. The U.S. spends billions each year responding, but it's clear more resources alone aren't enough to solve this complex problem. Community Solutions is a nonprofit working alongside 105 U.S. communities, proving it is possible to make homelessness rare and brief, starting with veteran and chronic homelessness. These cities and counties are fundamentally changing their approach and have committed to get to zero homelessness using real-time, person-specific data to work and use their resources wisely. What can you do? Visit www.built40.org. See if your community is engaged. Contact your mayor and ask, do you know the number of people experiencing homelessness in real time? Do you know every homeless person by name and need? What are you doing to drive measurable reductions in homelessness? Please challenge the fiction that says homelessness can't be solved. Thanks for listening to Say It Skillfully with host Molly Chang. Join us again for more ways to say it skillfully next Tuesday, 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Follow Molly on LinkedIn and Twitter. Check out sayitskillfully.com and sign up so you don't miss her latest 90-second video. And please, be part of the solution. Kindly tell others about this program so they say it skillfully too. 